Welcome back, everyone, to the Shock Absorber podcast. It is wonderful to have you along with us, whether you're listening or watching or doing something else while you're listening. Hello, Tim. Hello. <laughs> I'm often running. Well, often I'm, running? Yeah. I listen to a lot of podcasts when I run. I find, I don't know if I would like, I feel like I need some like pumped up music if I was going for a run rather than yeah. a podcast. Okay. You said you were listening to Cal Newport. Uh, yeah, I was listening to Cal Newport. The productivity yeah. expert. Yep. yep. It, uh, yeah. Did you, well, you're being productive there. Well, that's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> One of his insights you know, a while ago was, I think it was him, maybe it was someone else. I, re- I read a lot of productivity stuff, mostly just to make myself feel even worse about how unproductive I am most of the time. <laughs> so I'm always looking for a new system or something. But So I find Cal Newport helpful. Mm, he's um, good. But we're talking about how you, you can't multitask. No, um, it's a myth. It's a myth, yeah. But you can task stack. And yes. the difference is that they need to be doing different things. So you can't, like double screening doesn't work. Trying to listen to something that is like an audio book or a podcast that requires your attention to conversation, you can't do that while reading. Like Yeah, I can't you, do that definitely, yeah. Yeah, so all you're doing, your brain actually can't handle it. So yep. your brain is con- just constantly reshifting back and forward. Context switching. Context switching, there we go, that's, that's the phrase. Yeah, yeah. Mm. Um, but if you can task stack, mm-hmm. which is doing two very different tasks at the same time. So you can listen to an audio book while you're doing housework. You can yes. do podcasts while running. So because they're not requiring the same type of focus. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, the, yeah, so I'm, I'm task stacking when I run and listen to podcasts at the same uh, time. That makes sense. I mean, like podcasts are the sa- saviour of um, housework, I think. Oh yeah, absolutely. <laughs> like it's, you can like, oh, I'll go hang the washing out so I can yeah. listen to my podcast that I yeah. really wanted to listen to. Yeah, and I, I like that they're because they're audio, uh, unless you're watching us on YouTube. But um, I don't do I don't watch a lot of YouTube, but I do listen to a lot of podcasts, and it's often because I don't want my attention to be mm. focused. Whereas a screen, you kind of feel like you yeah. have to watch. Well, I have uh, crept into that, so okay. like I do listen to quite a few podcasts on YouTube. If I'm at work or something, okay. But that then you can something minimise the yeah. Well, I do that, but then something happens, and you're like, oh, what was that? And you go back and yeah, you right. go to watch it. So that's the problem with it. Yes, but, yeah, yeah. Uh, so some are good, some are bad. But yep. if you're like, oh, they're like, oh, that seems funny, and you're like, oh, so, oh, what did happen? And then you have to go back and watch it. And you're like, oh, well, that wasn't worth it. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah. And now yeah. I've just context switched for no reason. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, there are a few times because Cal does his as a video podcast as well, mm. and he'll often say, "Now I'm putting it up on the screen now, so you can see me drawing." And I'm, I'm running along going, "Well, oh, I can't see you drawing," but he does acknowledge. What's he drawing? Oh, he just draws little diagrams. Mm. He's he's always got these little systems going about you know ways to keep attention or to keep focus or to you know stack tasks or whatever it is. And yeah. he's always kind of doodling and got little diagrams. And he's going so mm. yeah, that's cool. I, I've read his deep workbook. I haven't read any of this other. Yeah, I borrowed it from the library, and it sat on my <laughs> table for the three weeks. Mm. And I went and it came to renewal time, and I tried to renew it, and someone else said already slipped in an order which meant I couldn't renew it so I've had to put it back without reading it so now nice. I've had to put in a request again okay yeah I wasn't distraction free enough to read it <laughs> so that's my problem I have like I said this in the last podcast but I've you know, after we came back from a week away I really worked hard on being like just reading a chapter of a book perhaps a day or something and it's transformative for me yeah right. I really love it yeah one book I am reading at the moment which I'm really loving on this kind of productivity mm. is called 168 hours 
because that's the only that's amount of hours in a week. That's how many hours in a week. Mm. Yes, Uh, and it's in. I mean, it's written in a really positive way. Mm. It's written in uh, a way that you is meant to um, awaken you to the fact that you have more time than you think you do. So, and it has been quite positive for that. Though there is that little bit of self-criticism that says, yeah, I haven't been used mine very well, have I? Yeah, you haven't done um, enough. Yeah, I haven't done enough. So, but yes, the, the author, she's very careful to try not to have that tone come through. Like she's trying to be really positive. She's trying to be empowering. Mm. Um, so I think that's just my own negative yeah. self-talk. This is a great way to start the podcast. We weren't really expecting to do this, but this is fun. Mm. Uh, we should say that Stu hasn't, isn't able to make it today. That's yes. why it's just you and I. Um, we may as well keep talking about books. Uh, I'm currently reading a book called... Um, a Christian book called Deeper, which has real change for sinners. And I am into the third chapter and I am really, really enjoying it. I think it's written really well. Um, It's by a guy called Dane Ortland. And uh, the reason that I bought it, uh, one of the guys in our church, Lewis, he was doing a big order from a bookshop and he's like, oh, do you want any Christian books? I'm like, yeah. And I had a look on the website and I found this one. I'm like, this looks interesting. So I asked him to buy it. And uh, I've lately been feeling like maybe my relationship, like over the last few years, I really got my Bible reading down quite consistent. And so I think that was like a good stage of growth. But now I think I'm I'm again looking for another stage of growth. And this is what this book is about. It doesn't talk about, it's not about doing more, like reading more Bible or I don't know, you know, listening to more sermons or whatever. But he talks about, it's actually about going deeper Mm. and helping you understand the the impact and the enormity of your relationship with God and how you can go deeper with him and consistently go deeper. So that's where he's going, where he's going from. And one of the things I just talked about is, you know, other people will probably know this, but the, the unity that we have with Christ and how much, how unified, I suppose Mm. we are with Christ and how, and that's been really impactful on me. Like, Oh, like to also just to see like the sin in my life that you can get, like because we're unified with Christ, we can, you know, we can take care of that sin's taken care of. But like, as a re- if it's repetitive, being know that you're unified with Christ has been that's a real transformative thing to come out of reading this book so far. Yeah, I can highly recommend that book. By the way, if yeah, anyone's right. deeper by uh, Dane Ortland is really good. Okay. So any any other books that you've been reading? Or? Uh, no, but it has. It did remind me. I haven't been reading any books. I've been reading some papers. Uh, mm. YouthWorks has a conference coming up called House. Uh, small plug there. Um, probably too late to register, but <laughs> it's uh, we're talking about discipling the emotions, and so again, I've gone already thinking this week um, about this idea that our life as faithful Christians is it's relational. It's there. It's an there's an emotive aspect, not mm. just a cognitive learning part of our faith but actually a deep relational emotional uh, way in which we can engage in relationship with God so it sounds like this book might be sort of right in that same yeah, kind of theme mm-hmm. that it's not just about the knowing more stuff and yeah. it's not just about obedience and doing but going actually deeper into our relationship so I think there's some ties in there so that's yeah. nice so yeah. uh, we should uh, compare notes once I finish the book yeah yeah but um, sounds good check that out uh, now the thing that we did say that we we're going to talk about is you also um, host another podcast called Effective Ministry Podcast, which That's is correct. A, the Youth Works is one of one of your employees. Yes, um, and you talk about uh, in particular children's ministry and intergenerational ministry. Uh, so it's anything to do with youth and children's okay. intergenerational ministry. So, well, sorry, anything to do with youth and children's ministry. And at YouthWorks, we have seven principles that we say effective ministry looks like these seven things. 
And one of those seven things is uh, intergenerational. So mm. whether it's youth or children, uh, effective ministry is uh, embedding those teenagers or uh, adolescents, children, into a whole body of Christ, which is intergenerational. So, yeah, it's one of the seven principles that we talk about. But, yeah, it's just about effective youth and children's ministry. So that is really broad, which is great, because I'll probably never run out of topics to talk about. <laughs> yeah, that's really good. <laughs> but uh, we were, uh, you were just showing me your statistics that you're, you're slowly growing, which is fantastic. Oh, yeah, that's podcast, kind of nice. Which is yeah. really good. So if you haven't listened to it, uh, subscribe to the... Uh, like and subscribe. Yes, to the Effective Ministry podcast that Tim also hosts. But there was um, something in particular that you were talking about was a question that someone sent in to you, piqued mm. your interest, and you actually did a, mo- a monologue response on it yeah. and also wrote an article about which we'll link in the, in the notes. But what was the kind of key things that you you responded to that question and what was the question in the first place? Yeah, so I had a friend of mine reach out. Um, so for context, uh, sort of a, a single young adult, uh, no, no children, no family, mm. and they were asking about having children in the main service, in the main gathering. And when you do that, um, like this friend of mine said, oh, I find that distracting, mm. and I know that that's partly me, and I want to be able to grow in my love and welcome of children in the service – how do I do that? How do I start to grow in that? Um, so part of it is because my friend, they're not around children a lot. And so therefore the noise of children, for those who are parents or regularly in children's or youth ministry, you're kind of used to this you know, background buzz of children and you're not necessarily uh, very aware of mm. the noise that they're making. Though I think parents might be particularly conscious of their own children mm. in a setting like a church service or somewhere where you should both be quiet, even if you're very generously aware of others and just go, oh, it's totally cool if your kid makes noise, but when my kid makes noise, I stress out. Yeah. So yeah. I think that's a reality. It does happen. Uh, and so, yeah, part of the question was about how do I – I get distracted by children. How can I help to – not? how can I grow in my, my welcome of children but also my uh, ability to not get as distracted? And one of the things that sort of piqued my interest, which we talked about um, – when I answered the question on the podcast and in this article, was, uh, I mean, I gave some tips towards the end, but the thing that really stood out to me was this word distract. And I thought, oh, that's really interesting. Yep. So, And that started me thinking about what are we being distracted from? If we say we're being distracted, it means that we've got a particular focus on one thing. Yes. Uh, and whatever the circumstance has been, whether it's the sound of a, you know, an emergency vehicle drives past the church or a child makes noise or someone kicks over a coffee cup or whatever it is, that I'm, my focus is being taken away from the thing I was focusing on and now onto something else. And normally we'd use the word distraction as, you know, it's got negative connotations as well. So mm. it would have been better if that didn't happen. As uh, in Cal, Cal Newport. Well, that's right, yeah. So he, one of Cal Newport's big thing is not trying not to be distracted. Yep. And so you can actually do your deep work, you can do your deep focus. Mm. And so I was thinking about that, which made me then think about, well, what is then church? Like what are we trying to focus on mm-hmm. in church mm-hmm. that means that a, a child making noise um, is a distraction from that? You know, what are they distracting us from and so I started to spiral back then to sort of first principles. What are we, 
what is church? What's the point of church? What's the point of the main gathering? Yeah. Uh, and I think that's, I don't know, that's just how my brain naturally <laughs> works is just to start spiraling backwards and backwards trying to get to the, the root cause of things. Uh, and I wondered whether the, uh, the reason we gather at church, what we think is going on is that the purpose, the reason I would go to church is because church is supposed to grow me as a disciple of Jesus. So that's sort of part one. Um, and I agree with that. I think that's that's helpful. Uh, and then, but part two onto that is that the I grow primarily as a disciple of Jesus, primarily through cognitive or intellectual knowing type uh, means. Yep. And I think that that's another layer as well. And that is a distinctive, particularly of Reformed evangelical denominations, which we are you know, pr- part of. Uh, so that we have a very high cognitive engagement. And then also, I think, layered on top of that, again, is the fact that we just live and breathe individualistic culture. And so, therefore, it's all about me. So, therefore, I think all of this, I don't know if many people are conscious of this, but I think many people in our churches would come to church thinking, this is for me, I want to grow as a disciple of Jesus, uh, and I need to do that through uh, stimulating sermon uh, deep engagement with deep, you know, mental engagement, uh, cognitive stimulation in the Word of God. Uh, it comes down to the the songs that we sing. I've got to make sure that the songs are carefully curated, the words are accurate, that they're deep, they're not um, weak, they're not uh, in any way soft or airy fairy. Mm. Uh, presenting Jesus as something he's not. That's another argument you sometimes hear. Yep, yep. So we were thinking about all of those kinds of things, uh, which is all very sort of cognitive focused. And therefore, of course, when that happens, children are going to be a distraction from that. Children are inherently yes. disruptive and distracting when we're trying to put mental energy into a cognitive task. Mm-hmm. So I think that kind of maybe sitting behind this friend of mine's question is these assumptions that many of us in our churches will come with that church is about me growing as a disciple and that there's a cognitive uh, purpose behind that. So I'm going, okay, well, if that's what we're thinking church is, is that correct? Is that what church is designed to be? Is that what it's meant to be? Uh, is that what it, the, the main game is. That's what we're used to. Well, it's what we're used to, yeah. It's, it's definitely what um, our tribe, our evangelical reform tribe, has highlighted and elevated for a long time. Uh, and there are great truths there. Yes, God wants us to love God with all of our mind. So absolutely, we should be growing cognitively. Uh, it's right to dig deep into the Bible. It's, it's great to be thinking deep thoughts about the Bible. Uh, it's right for... Um, adults at an adult developmental capacity to be challenged and shaped and, uh, you know, to grow in our knowledge of King Jesus. I think all of those are really good and true things. Uh, The preached word is super important in the way that we do church and I don't in any way want to diminish that. Uh, What I wondered though is, are there other purposes that is why we come to church uh, to which children's presence, even their noisy movement, disruptive presence, is not actually a deficit but may actually be a benefit. Yeah, right. And so I started to think about what does it mean for, uh, is church perhaps also um, a 
time to celebrate being the diverse family of God, for example. Uh, and if that's the case, well, then children's presence with us is going to be um, of a benefit mm. to what we're doing mm. rather than a deficit. Uh, and you can make the same argument for, you know, you might have adults with intellectual disabilities who also can't cognitively engage with the a neurotypical adult. Uh, they may even make noise. They may even sort of self-regulate through sound. They, you know, there's all sorts of things that might happen for um, an adult with, you know, intellectual additional needs or whatever it might be. Uh, where's their place? You know, are they also going to be distracting? Well, again, if the primary task is my cognitive engagement, then yes, they are going to be distracting and therefore perhaps they're a problem that needs to be dealt with. Alternatively, perhaps actually what we're doing together is we're celebrating and yes, as we celebrate, we sing, we pray, we read, we learn, uh, absolutely. But also just the fact that we are celebrating diversity together is part of the point and therefore the presence of these distracting elements may actually be helping us to refocus mm. yeah that's a really interesting way of thinking about it. i like it how you stripped it back down to the first principles because that's a good way of really trying to highlight perhaps what the real impulse behind the question is rather than just put another band-aid solution on it i think mm. that's really important what um i was just trying to think so what do you think if you were responding to your friend in this way, what do you think her, his or, I'm sorry, I don't know if it's his or her, I just said her. Um, what would you think their response would be talking about that? Would it be more like an illuminating thought like, oh yeah, church is like that. I am just being taught to just engage con cognitively rather than understanding what else is going on in when you're meeting as a church. Or do you think it would be more like, no, no, we just need to fix this problem? What do you think Yeah, well, be? one of the things I said to my friend when I first responded uh, to them personally and then they knew that I was turning these into podcasts oh, and that's articles good, that's good, isn't it? Um, was to say that I, I loved the question yeah. um, because the, the question ended. I mean, the, there was a bit of background information, but the, the key question was, I want to grow in my love and welcome of children. And so there's a genuine heart yes, there, there is, yeah. uh, to work out what's going on here. And so I think the initial impulse was that I'm, I'm looking for solutions, which I think I came to strategies right at the end. But uh, also I think by reframing the our understanding of what church is, perhaps that's going to be part of the strategy of solution is that we actually reshape our understanding of well, what I'm actually doing when I come to church. Uh, maybe, firstly, maybe it's not just about me. Maybe my presence is, uh, I mean, hopefully I will grow as a disciple of Jesus, but also uh, there might be ways in which I'm able to bless others. It might not just be about me. It's about us being knitted together as the family of God. Yeah. If it is about us being knitted together as the family of God, being the expression of diversity, uh, age diversity, generational diversity, ethnic diversity, linguistic diversity, ability, disability diversity. Like if that is what's going on, that it's all of those things, reframing it in that way helps me to say, well, actually, then what is it actually going to be for uh, who, who is there in the room uh, and actually looking for the possibilities and wondering about, okay, well, I'm now looking out expecting there to be children around. Um, 
So I'm now expecting there to be, uh, you know, different ages, different abilities, whatever it might be. And like we've said before, when we talk about intergenerationality here at Soul Revival and we talk about our different church plants, at the very least, you notice a missing generation as a deficit. Yes. So if we look at some of, I mean, some of our... Um, our smallest congregations, ones we call Vespers, um, and even some of our Beatles. You look around and there might be some generations represented, but not all. Uh, and you know, like we said last week, I think it was, the, you know, we can have a low anxiety about that. We don't have to mm. stress. But we notice it as a deficit. If we notice that there's no teenagers at this particular gathering, we go, oh, it's a shame, isn't it? I wonder if there might be some teenagers we can invite to double up mm. and come to this gathering, when we notice that there's no families and therefore no young children, we notice that as a deficit and we go, yeah. oh, that's really interesting. I wonder what we could do to make sure that families who do come and visit feel welcomed and want to stick around. So uh, I think that that's, that's going to be part of it. So reshaping our expectation of what church is, who is it for, what are we seeking to achieve there? And another part of that puzzle is uh, we, we do put a very high priority on our cognitive growth as disciples, but faith development is far more than just cognitive it's also relational and it's also obedience so we want to grow in our love for jesus and the saints um, and we want to grow in our obedience to love god and love others in the actions and the things that we do so it might be that actually the way that i grow this sunday um, is not by being cognitively stimulated but by growing in my patience and self-control by loving the child who is next to me and just been celebrating who they are. Uh, it might be that I'm bearing with each other's burdens as I sit next to someone who's sad. Um, it might be that I got distracted out of this part of the service because I was caring for someone else. So there's lots of ways to grow as a disciple and not just cognitively. And the gathered people of God uh, gives me great opportunity to actually engage in all those one anothering that yeah, Paul particularly talks about in the New Testament letters. Mm. So I think that's going to be part of it as well. Yeah, I mean, there's a couple of things that you talk about there that I'm just wondering about more about the, um, you know, talking about the cause rather than what it's actually causing or the effect of it. And, and I mean, you can choose which one you want to talk about here and, if, and even if you want to. But the one thing I keep coming back to is the individualism thing that you were talking about in, around church, but also... The cognitive, like again, engaging cognitively is really, really important. But uh, why do you think perhaps we've slipped into thinking that's maybe the only important thing? So why did, like, why did, I understand why like the um, the evangelical thought process, a lot of, we talked about a long time ago, was, uh, it came out of a, a, a desire to take a personal personal responsibility for their faith. So I can understand even from back at that time that made a lot of sense because there was coming out of things of like the uh, the Enlightenment where everyone actually prior to that everyone felt that you were just born in a country and that's the kind of the religion you were and you believed in God and that's it mm. kind of thing. But then obviously after the Enlightenment it was like there was a need to go, you need to take personal responsibility for your faith because there's other things competing against it now. Why do you think that's translated to where we are now? when perhaps maybe could be in danger of overemphasizing it and minimizing the other things in 
church. What are, you th- what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, I mean, there's people who are he's, uh, smarter than me in sort of church history and culture and those kind of things that could probably speak into mm. this. And if anyone wants to send critiques, you can send them to Joel yeah, or Chuck yeah. <laughs> yeah, That's right, but they're not on the podcast. <laughs> but they're not on the podcast. So, <laughs> and um, you know more than me. <laughs> <laughs> I think part of it is, so the, uh, a large part of our heritage as evangelicals and reformed is out of the, the Reformation. That's where reform mm. comes from. Mm. And that came out of, it had very close ties to the Enlightenment and the Enlightenment was all about rediscovering um, the you know, ancient sources, original sources. So there's a whole lot of really great stuff that went through in that. But the, the, the mind, the academy, uh, the you know, intellectual pursuits, really rich digging into those kind of side of things was a huge part of what was happening in the Reformation. So lots of writing going on, lots yeah, of preaching right. going on. Yeah. And so we've inherited, uh, and I want to say positively, I want to, like, I'm not in any way trying to chuck out no, I didn't hear you things, but um, we, we've inherited a really strong tradition of meaty preaching yep. as a key part of what we do as a service. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that, that is, I think that's good and I think that's right, yep. that we spend a good amount of time in there you go to other traditions and that's not necessarily the same so you go to other traditions where they might have just short homilies where it's you know it's only five minutes and then you kind of wrap up but there are other things that you do in your gathered together it might be the um the the rituals you perform it might be the liturgy you enact it might be the prayers you say together um, for some traditions including some versions of the Anglican Church, it's very much about the communion table. So the fact that you come together and eat the Lord's meal every week, that's the key point of the service together. Um, and whether you do a short homily or a long homily or a short whatever it does is sort of is less important than meeting around the table. So there's lots of different things and end up that you end up with uh, different traditions emphasising different aspects. Yeah. Uh, and like most things, it's... you. You hear these pendulum swings, you overemphasise one at the detriment of others. Um, and I think that where we have got to in, in a right emphasis of the preach word is that we have neglected some of those other formative aspects like community. Uh, and where I think we really felt a pinch point in the, in the 2000s particularly with the rise of internet church and podcasting mm. and things like that, mm. which was greatly exacerbated by COVID as well, when we actually couldn't meet personally together, is that just the simple fact, it doesn't matter where you go to church, you can get a hundred better preachers on your podcasting app than you get in your local community. So in, if that's the case, and if we've been trained through church history in our traditions to think that the sermon is the key thing then you get to a point where well why would i even bother going to church if i can get sermons that i think are better if i can get sermons even if it's my own sermons like if it's like not (laughs) (laughs) even if it's the sermons from my own church um if we we have sort of swung a pendulum to a point where we've emphasized the preached word as the reason to come together as a service and so therefore, if I can receive that same preached word in the comfort of my own home, mm. in my pyjamas or down at the beach or while I'm running and I can listen to the sermon, uh, isn't, wasn't that the point of church? Mm. Wasn't the point of church to hear the Bible read and hear it preached? I did that. I didn't even have to go. Yep. I've, got it in, I've got it in my earbuds. Mm. Isn't that cool? Yep. Um, 
And I think what churches are uh, either realising or need to realise is that, okay, that we don't want to, let's not lose that, but let's also with that say, oh, yeah, it's also about community. It's also about being the body of Christ or our ecclesiological framework at Soul Revival, it's the friendship. You know, it's actually the coming together, it's the relationality of it that was really, really key. Yes, have the preached word, but it's the preached word in the context of the people of God who are gathered. And so to have taken away from our, if your lesson from our church history is all I need is a preached word and look, I can do that on a podcast and I don't even need to go to church to get it. And actually that preacher over in US or Adelaide or wherever or the other side of Sydney is better than my local, then we've kind of missed the point. We've, we've overemphasised to the extreme. And interestingly, I think that that's even well before COVID, in the last 10, almost 11 years of Soul Revival Church, I think it's one of the things that people who have come from other churches have noticed. And even if they can't articulate, they go, oh, you guys spend a lot of time together. Like you spend, a, mm. it's very relational. You know, you do meals every week. Uh, I mean, the number of common conversations I have leading up to a week away, they'll say, oh, yeah, 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 well, we're going on our church a week away. And people go, sorry, what? A week, a week. away? <laughs> Uh, oh, you weekend away? No, 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 a week away. A week away? Why would you go away for a week? It's like, oh, is that? Why like, would you? That's a funny question, isn't it? Yeah, I, I mean, why would you? But also, that's incredible. Uh, I think Stu said it last <laughs> week. Like, a lot of churches can't get people together for a weekend or even for a day. And even most churches I know that go away for a weekend uh, or do a day in jam pack it full of talks. Which again mm. comes to that, what's the most important thing about coming together? The preached cognitive engagement. Uh, whereas we said, yeah, no, let's not lose that. Like we, we have a full service with the preached word every day of our week away. Yes, we do, yeah. Uh, so we're not losing that. We then have small groups where we can discuss it with some of those small groups uh, um, for, for our teenagers, for our children. We have age sensitive times, age specialist times, so that they can engage with it cognitively at their particular developmental level. So, yeah, we're not chucking any of that out. But then we spend, you know, from, what, 12 o'clock till whenever yeah. you want to go to bed, yeah. um, just in relationships yes. with each other. And I think they're the kind of moments, and that's the kind of community, where we're actually building all these other aspects of the people of God gathered, which when we come back to church on a weekend, um, we can say, well, here we are in our diversity and we go back to our six different gatherings and you know, we don't see all the same people every week. But because we have this great diversity, then we're able to engage in those relationships and actually see not see each other as distractions to my personal growth as a disciple of Jesus, but I actually need each other to grow as a disciple of Jesus. Uh, and one of the great things I'm really passionate about in terms of intergenerational ministry is we need all those other generations. I need the primary school boys that I lead on a Sunday morning for me to grow as a disciple of Jesus. Like I actually need that relationship because I'm learning from them things about what it means to be a Christian and they're shaping in me things like patience yeah. and self-control and how to have you know, joy. When they're being difficult, uh, I'm growing as a disciple of Jesus because I'm learning to love them even when it's hard. When they go through a hard time, I'm learning to you know, bear their burdens. Uh, so the... We need each other, and I think that that's what this is kind of creating. Mm. I wonder if another way to pitch it is, and I think what you're saying, like I completely agree with what you're saying in terms of, you know, the what did you say, the year 
10 year old boys. Oh, like my the, primary school boys. Prim- yeah, yeah, the primary yeah, yeah. school boys, sorry. You, like, do you think they can also help you? We're talking about engaging thinking about it. Do you think they can also help you think about it better? Like, because we're, we're only centering it around the, the preacher up the front. It's like, what are the, but what can the, um, the primary school boys or the, um, the, the toddlers, what can they teach us cognitively as well? Like we could say relationally they can, but I wonder what they could teach us cogn- cognitively. Do you have any thoughts on that? Yeah, I do have a few thoughts on that. Um, the, there's, there's two, at least two things <laughs> that I'm thinking. Um, <laughs> Which are always intention, and I sometimes see overplayed in one direction or the other. So the first one is that God does give the church teachers uh, and shepherds who it is appropriate that they have authority Mm. and that they are set aside for the task of uh, reading the word, praying, and leading the people in the understanding of Scripture. So I think it's right and appropriate that we do that. On the other side... One of the things I want to emphasise, particularly from an intergenerational perspective, is that uh, God can speak through any and every one uh, and therefore I should expect to be learning from and be shaped in mutual relationships with those who are much younger than me, infants, children. And so... And our argument as a church would also be much older than us too. And much older than us as well, absolutely. So... And, and that's a key part. And so part of that is what we express in the shock absorber, the, that metaphor that it's the flexibility of youth and young people as they hit cultural uh, change, as they, you know, they're at the forefront of cultural change and they can help distribute that shock through the rest of the institutionalised church, but they need our strength in order to do that well. So part of that is that relationship there. But, you know, the primary school boys, they might ask a question that I've never heard of, yeah. I've never thought of, yeah. and I'll have to pause and go, that's a great question. <laughs> I don't know. Uh, or they, they push me because I need to understand a concept much better in order to explain it to them than I do to a peer. Yeah, inc- so, and to be at the age-sensitive level, like you said before. That's right, mm. yeah. yeah. So mm. I can, if I'm having a conversation with an adult or I'm preaching at the front of just an adult church, I can get away with a bit of a looseness of language that people will they'll understand the looseness of language they'll you know be more forgiving they won't you know they will a lot more cognitive understanding that you can't get away with with younger kids and I see this I mean I've seen this in myself over many many years but I see it now particularly when I train junior leaders so we've got a young uh, 15 year old tonight giving his very first talk mm. to our fuse group which is year five and sixes yep. and i haven't seen him yet tonight so i'm not sure how he's feeling i imagine he's pretty nervous but being able to i imagine being his first talk i'll watch him and i'll go oh yeah he's he's using all this if he's like every other junior leader i've ever trained he'll be using all this language that will make sense to him it will make sense to his peers and will go a little bit over the head of mm. the team of the younger crew the primary school kids and because that, that is uh, just naturally how we, we – you have to train yourself to speak clearly in a way that young people will understand. So there, so there is a cognitive engagement there when they ask questions, but they all have insights as well. And sorry, this is the other side. So all my two sides again. <laughs> so one side was that God gives the church leaders and it's right to honour 
our preachers, our teachers that God has given the church. And also, every Christian can be a conduit through which the Spirit can speak into the life of the church. And so I should expect that young children will have spiritual insight that will shape the life of the body of Christ. Uh, you don't have to wait till you're 30 or until you're 40 till people will take you seriously until you can actually have a genuine voice uh, because partly because we want to learn from the young but also partly because we believe that young people uh, are in the membership of Christ, they are in the church and the Holy Spirit can equip them for words of encouragement, can equip them to depth of understanding that we should expect to see them. Now, I want to hold those two in tension, not intention, I want to hold those two in, in an appropriate balance. Um, I've got some intergenerational friends that will sort of under-emphasise the leadership and will over-emphasise the ability of all generations to speak uh, in such a way that they de-emphasise the expert to the point where uh, I think there's almost a disservice to Paul's words about a, appropriate pe- people passing on the message of Jesus, which he talks about in Ephesians 4 and Timothy and Titus and those kind of letters. So sometimes there's there's a pendulum swing right the other way that says, no, 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 we should let children speak because they're, what they have to say is just as valid as the Bible college trained elder of the church or preacher of the church or pastor of the church. Mm-hmm. Um, and I want to get away from a dichotomy where you have to choose. I want to say, well, I don't know, absolutely, I want to affirm young people can speak truth and the Holy Spirit can uh, use even very young children to speak truth into the church. And also there's an appropriateness of training and of eldership and of pastoring. and Raising those, up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Oh, that makes a lot of sense. I mean, the two things that I picked up on there was um, just n- still having the, I think it's really important to have the knowledge that children who are involved in church can speak to you in different ways. And I like the, I mean, my son Leo, who's he's very like it's all about knowledge for him. But he also like so we try and pray with the kids every night. But one night he was going to bed late, and I was like, oh, you know, just you know, he just got into bed and said, okay, good night, mate. And he's like, hang on, you haven't prayed. Yeah. I said, oh, do you want me to pray? He's like, yeah, well, we should, shouldn't we? <laughs> like <laughs> it was just like but that's another way of like, oh, hang on, I'm not. He's engaging me again in a way that's like, oh, hang on, yeah, you're right, like. It's important to like to pray over my kids and pray with them and pray about the things that they're concerned about because that's modeling that's in a sense doing that raising up thing that you're yeah, talking absolutely. about of saying that like you need to do this yourself as well just as you have encouraged me to do it myself to help like helping you at this time so yes. I think that's really important the other thing you said about um, talking about the the uh, uh, the 15 year old guy that we he's coming in today to do the talk for the for the for fuse was that it's interesting that you said a lot of your leaders that you train will uh, just pitch it a little bit too high level. And I, I was quite fascinated by that. I think sometimes we do that because, as you know, I'm quite passionate about f- football or soccer and especially coaching now because I, I coach my son's team. And you see one thing that frustrates me is that we, a lot of the coaches tell them to do something in a way like they coach like they were coached when they were 12 but they're the people the kids that they're coaching are like six seven eight yes and i think i think that might be a thing to keep thinking about is that what why aren't we 
thinking on their level. Like it's hard. That's the other thing. It's hard. It's also heaps harder for that soccer yeah. coaching thing. It's also that's their last their lasting memory of coaching. So if I just do what I, how I was coached when I was twelve, then it will work for six year olds. It's like no, that's not that's not going to work. So and that can often be the way we do children's and youth ministry too. It's like right. oh, my only memory of this <laughs> is either being at school or being in youth group myself, and I'll just do what I think. We did at school, or think I probably did at youth group, mm. uh, when or at Sunday school when I was a kid, and we try and lead in the same way. Uh, and sometimes, like our memory is faulty. Yeah. Sometimes it's because we're teaching different ages, as you say. Like if you remember the, even if you remembered accurately the way you were coached in soccer at twelve, and they were an exceptional coach for twelve-year-olds, yep. doesn't mean that that language and those drills and those kinds of things are going to mm. work well for the seven-year-olds. Yeah, exactly, and. Oh, that was the, there was a point I was going to make there, and now I've completely forgotten. Oh, sorry, it. No, no, no. Your <laughs> your point was very valid. Um, oh, the funny thing is, it's like as humans, and obviously this is part of God's design, but we're learning so much in those younger ages, but it kind of seems like our memory isn't as clear from those ages, right? Which is kind of interesting. So, and I wonder if that influences why. You know, whether it's the coaching, the soccer coaching, or whether it's you're coaching your leaders, or whether it's how we're actually running youth and young and adult stuff, is that maybe just our memory wasn't great when we were a particular age or a particularly younger age. Like, yeah, I, I think that's, a, that's an interesting thing to think about. Um, and perhaps a way to, that anyone listening to this can think, oh, actually, maybe am I, am I getting down to their level mm. for some, whatever their level is? Like, am I getting down to level or am I just like, these are things I want to talk about? And these are the things that they need to know about, but I'm not going to think of how they actually learn it. Yeah, that's right. And particularly when we're thinking about young people and even adults, mm. the learning is embodied. So this again comes to that you know, cognitive aspect when we highly yes. prioritise the cognitive things. It's like, okay, if you just sat your seven, um, yeah, your under sevens or under eights, whatever. What's They're under nines. Under nines Just finished now. under nine season, under yes. Nine. Mm. So you get sit down your under nines soccer team and you just say, all right, I'm just going to talk to you for 40 minutes oh. uh, about the skills that you need mm. to be a great soccer player. Mm. Um, just go out and do it then. <laughs> yeah, or, or you do the opposite. Okay, all right, just yeah, go do this. But the, uh, developmentally, they're not going to understand much of what you say. Their bodies are going to be wriggly and they're going to like want to act things out. So, I mean, sports are sometimes an easier example because you do <laughs> want to do the drills and you can do actively but the other thing that's really interesting from a learning point of view is how deeply our emotions engage us so if you have warm relationships with the teacher or the instructor or the coach your brain is prepped for learning but if you are anxious if you're worried if you're cold uh, if you are fearful uh, if you don't want to be there Mm. all of that is a blockage to our mind engaging in learning and i think children will intuitively pick up on that better than adults right yeah yeah because yeah. i think they're, they're again uh designed to do that yes so one of the the best things you can do as a soccer coach is to create positive relationships mm. with your under nines mm. so that they want to come to training uh they might still be tired they might still be ready on a wednesday night or whatever it is so then they uh but they really like you as their coach. Uh, they enjoy being there in that space. 
and or because all of that primes them for the learning that you are then imparting on them and so it's the same with ministry so if the kids feel safe in the space if they feel welcome in the space if they enjoy the space and they get on well relationally with the leaders and the other adults and teenagers in the space they are sorry they are primed for learning and engagement mm. uh, and so part of it is that body interaction thing part of it is that emotions really matter when it comes to these things our relationships really matter uh, and all of that feeds into uh, how we're actually going to be doing church here. So it's sort of come full circle to the, the question, you know, kids know intuitively whether they are welcomed in church or yes. not or whether they are being put up with um, or whether they're actually not welcomed. They're being managed. They're being managed. Yeah. Or, you know, if every time a kid makes a noise, you say, oh, do you mind going to the parent room because you're just making a bit of noise and... Uh, you're disturbing the people around you. Or, oh, yeah, we've got a space over there a long, <laughs> long way away from everyone else where the kids can hang out. Yeah, um, you know, kids know these things. Yes, they, they do. They pick up... Um, they might not be able to uh, verbalise them, but no, they, that's they right. know. Yes. They know. Yeah, yeah. Mm. Um, whereas if they're welcomed, if they're celebrated, and this kind of got to some of my strategies mm. towards the end, mm. was, you know, welcome children from the front. Have the service leader or the, um, the preacher, both... Yeah, say, hey, we're really, really glad that you're here. We love the, your energy. We love you making noise. Um, not distract, not distraction for distraction's sake, but the fact that babies gurgle, they gurgle. Yeah. Like, they make noises. Yeah, to- make toddlers make noise. noise. Yeah, yeah. You know, they move around. They mm. kick the chair. They, you know, their toy clatters to the floor. Um, you know, sometimes if you've got primary school kids or teenagers in your gathering, you know, there'll be times when they're whispering to each other. Uh, there's times when adults whisper to each other. No, absolutely. <laughs> I do it all the time. Yeah. Uh, they, they make noise. And, but an, an appropriate level of childishness uh, in, in, this, in the gathering, if that's, if that's how you do church, uh, show that there's a welcome for that. And then what I said to my friend was, I said, yeah, when, if you do get uh, distracted away rather than thinking that as a negative think of it as no no i'm positively now being redirected and refocused towards this child okay Mm -hmm. now that you've been positively redirected towards this child what can you do you can thank god for them yeah you can pray for them in that moment just to say oh i'm so glad that yeah so and so is here uh this thrills me that our church has babies or young people or teenagers in them pray for that uh if you catch their eye or their parents eye give them a massive smile Just be really warm and welcoming. Uh, and after the sort of formal time finishes, you know, maybe make a beeline straight to that family and just say, hey, I'm so glad that you're here. And it was so fun watching little Johnny uh, roll around with his trucks at the front of the uh, service. Yeah. It's just reminded me of how much Jesus loves little children. That would take a lot, a lot of the anxiety of parents also worrying that they're child is being supposedly too noisy absolutely as well yeah yeah, yeah. i don't know if i've told this story before uh, but i went to visit a church in hobart one time i was just outside of hobart and it was very much an intergenerational service all in all the time they didn't have a kids program mm-hmm. and so kids were actively part of the the prayers and the singing and the bible reading and the announcements and and then it came for the time for the um the minister to give the sermon and he said all right kids uh, i'm going to give the sermon now i'm going to yeah, do the preaching whatever word he use um if you'd like to play in the fort uh during this time you're really welcome to 
Now, the fort <laughs> was this like plastic cardboard cubby house thing right next to him. Wow. Uh, and so as he's preaching to the adults, the kids are you know, about a metre, metre and a half away from him climbing around and giggling and their faces are poking out of the windows. And, <laughs> and what, I know, what I watched there was the, it was a small congregation, maybe you know, 40 people, uh, maybe a dozen kids, uh, and a preacher who was really not at all anxious, in fact, very the opposite, really welcoming of the fact that children were there and were present in the space. He did not see them as a problem to be managed. Mm. He saw that this was a family gathering uh, and isn't it great that our kids are here and I'm not trying to hide them. I'm, not, I'm, I'm celebrating them. They're right here. And your attention is probably going to be just as much on the kids as it is on me, which might mean you miss half of what I say and that's totally fine. I just thought this was, a, it was wow. I just thought mm. it was amazing. Um, but he was a guy that just I could see in that setting that – for this church, who were really, and also really used to it as well. So I think that was the other thing I noticed. I'm looking around. Most people weren't distracted by the kids. Mm. Like they'd look at them and they'd smile and, yeah, 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 I see you and give a bit of a wave back. And then they'd turn their attention. And because they'd been, you know, gotten used to that as just a rhythm, they also, the kids were there, they were making noise, they're giggling, they're waving at their parents. And the parents weren't distracted as much as probably I was. <laughs> Yeah. Uh, in the the content of the sermon, for example, because they're just used to this. There's a there's a background noise, there's a buzz around of kids. Totally fine. That's okay. Uh, and I mean, you probably know as a, as a parent, you kind of get used to a little level of background noise. And it's only when that noise, you know, someone shouts or screams or cries, it's like, oh, hold on. Then all of a sudden, that background noise, which wasn't distracting me from mm. emails or TV show or getting dinner ready or whatever, all of a sudden it now becomes a distraction because you're just kind of used to it. I think mean, that was kind of what was happening here in this small little congregation outside Hobart. Yeah, what was your reaction to that experience in Hobart? Was it like, oh, would you really? be like, oh, yeah? Would you be like, oh, I'm never doing that? Or is uh, it- I don't know if I do it. I mean, <laughs> I, I, yeah, I'm not sure. I, I mean, I've never been in a position where I've uh, thought about doing it um, or where I was in the geography to do it. I thought it was, I mean, I, I thought it was really lovely. I mean, I was, it was, it wasn't that many years ago. I was deep in intergenerational ministry research, you know, and I, and then the other thing was we all kind of finished up. The, almost the entire church wandered down the hill, grabbed pies from the bakery and sat in the park and oh, just uh. kept, kept going. And so that was when I got to chat with the minister and get to know him a bit better and find out his story. But yeah, and encourage him. I thought it was a really great expression. Mm. Um, now, it's also not the expression we use here at Soul Revival. No. Uh, and so it's not, there's no right way of doing intergenerational ministry. Um, there's, there's many different expressions. We don't have children in our main gathering most weeks on Saturdays and Sundays. Friday is a bit different because we have a service in between kids club and youth group where uh, the majority of the people in the church service are kids adolescents and their families. Uh, we have week away, we have Christmas, we have Easter. We have key moments throughout our life together where we are in all in, but we're not all in all the time. Um, and we do less kids in our gatherings than many other churches would do. And that's because of other reasons that we've talked about in previous episodes about inviting adults into the kids space and friendships and um, building chill teams and those kind of things. Yeah, I'm just... I'm a little bit pensive because I'm thinking about like 
what would be my reaction to that? And I think my initial reaction is like, oh, you're not distracting me, but I'm worried about you distracting other people. Mm. That would be, that was, I suppose that was my initial reaction. But it's interesting how that pastor that you were talking about welcomed it and kind of, it's like when um, a stand-up comedian, something happens in the crowd and if he just kept going, if the stand-up just keeps going, it's kind of like, oh, the crowd's a little bit lower. But if the if the comedian addresses it and then makes a joke about it, everyone feels it's okay. Right. So, like, I've seen a comedian, someone had a, uh, I think they might have had an uh, epileptic episode. Right, okay. For example, in the crowd. And, like, they had to call in doctors and uh, EMTs or whatever they call it in America. But then he just goes on a big thing afterwards and then someone goes that's not fair that's not don't be don't be nasty to them and then he goes after her about saying you're a nurse and you didn't help someone right (laughs) so it turns into this whole thing so he brings the crowd all the way back and i think that's well you're not making jokes while you're at the front very often but it's just something of like recognizing the elephant in the room and saying this is actually okay yes that's what's that's what's interesting about it isn't it yeah and i think and again, I mean, I'm reading a lot into just one particular service that I went to, but mm. I wonder as well whether this particular pastor, he he put a he put a priority on the preached word. Mm. So that was yeah, formed evangelical, um, large tick. Yeah, large. Yeah, he, he was uh, he, yeah, large tick on that. The the word read, the word preached. That was a key highlight of the service. But he wasn't so. It wasn't the highest priority in. In that, if I miss a couple of lines of what he said because I, my eyes flicked across to the kid waving out the window, <laughs> it wasn't like that upset the minister. Like he, he prepared well, he spoke well. But also, if our attention kind of flitted around a little bit, he wasn't really anxious about that because... I don't know where if he'd put their priority listing or wherever, but having the children there and enjoying together who we are as a family was as important as the words that he had prepared to preach to us. Uh, and so because there was, there was an, a balance there, an evenness there of priorities, uh, it, again, that whole idea of a distraction being a negative, I don't know if he would have said, the children were a distraction. Children are present, and when they're present, they uh, they're amongst us, and that's okay. Um, and saying a, a distraction puts too much of a negative on it. In that there was there was something more important that you should have been doing, but instead you look to the children. Right? Mm. That's kind of when we use the word distraction, that might be what we imply. Yep. Uh, and I don't think he would say that. I think he would say, "Yep, I prepared this prayerfully, carefully." I've studied, I've thought about it. I want the preach word to be a highlight of our service. Uh, but also, it's, it's, just, it's a sermon and that's okay. Mm. And, and the, us being a family together. So trying to balance all those things and I'm still trying to work out what that means, what that looks like. I don't know if there is a priority. Or, yeah, yeah. Just I mean, it's interesting even with the, like you talked about the reformers earlier, they were probably out in the streets preaching and some people were listening, but other people were going about their day you know, in the market or whatever they were doing. So they would have had to deal with supposed distractions like that too. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you've got some reformers who were, you know, in churches like, you yeah. know, Luther and, and Calvin. Calvin, you know, was preaching every week, every day, I think, in right. his church. Um, but certainly when you get to 
uh, revival time, which was maybe that's what I'm thinking of. Yeah, sorry. Yeah, another couple of hundred years later, but you've got you know the Wesleys and the Whitfields Whitfield. and mm-hmm. those kind of guys who uh, sometimes have been kicked out of their church because they were preaching evangelicalism, not you know legalism. And you're preaching to a certain group of people. Yep. But yes, they would often talk in a crowd, and and I think that's kind of the picture we get with Jesus as well. Like yeah, not definitely. to draw too much of a connection, but I think yeah, Jesus he's out in the open. He's He's speaking and preaching, and you know, he's in the middle of a sermon, and people are bringing their babies to him. To be, yeah. To, you know, and <laughs> yeah. and the disciples say, no, shh, like, don't distract yeah. people. Um, you you will distract people from Jesus' words. And Jesus he's, goes in hard on him, hey. Yeah, he just goes, yeah. how dare you? Yeah. <laughs> um, uh, bring the little children to me. How yeah. how you know far bit from for you to uh, hinder the children from coming to me, mm-hmm. and. So, yeah, I just think there was, there's something there as well I think is, is worth playing with and thinking yeah. about the way that we uh, do life together mm. as a church. And, and I think that might be part of it as well, that, yes, we want to sing. Yes, we want to pray. Yes, we want to hear the Bible read. Yes, the preached word is important. Yep. And all of that is in the context of we are doing life together as a diverse people of God, of all generations, of all people. And that is the context in which we do it is really important yep. as well. Mm. Can I take it in a different direction Please on, on the flip side to what you've been talking about? So we've kind of talked about it environmentally in the sense of in a particular environment and children are in the sermon or something else, mm. recognising that it's okay for them to be there at certain, at certain times or at all times. But I was thinking of back to when you were talking about um, how people think that if I can just consume and i'm putting emphasis on that word consume the word of god then everything's fine and i think that is it speaks to some of the individualism things you were talking about as well of well if i can just find the right pastor for me then i'll be the right christian i'm supposed to be rather than okay there's there's these other things that you're talking about right now which you just spoke about then it was like yes the preach the preaching is like a very, very high priority and should be. But at the detri- prioritizing that at the detriment of other things that could work on my heart and my faith uh, is that individual and consumption thing. So where do you think that comes from and how do, we, how do we look to ensure that it doesn't creep in to how we think about church? Because I think, I think service is a really big thing. Like we just recorded a chip lunch with one of our members and he talked about how... Uh, he was in church for a lot of his life, then stepped away from church for a few years and then came back. But him and another of the people I've talked about is that when they step into serving is when they feel really part of the church. And I think that's a that's almost like a, uh, in some way a uh, throwing off of that individualism thing of like, I'm, I'm coming here to serve now too. So I think there might be something in that. What do you reckon? Yeah, I think, I mean, first thing is that, came to mind was we can still serve in an individualistic way. Like I'm mm. I'm serving in order to, for me as an individual, to get something out of this. So I want to be careful about that. But I do think service naturally starts to turn our hearts away from ourselves and towards other people. Mm. So I think that is absolutely the case. And I think we, I mean, we are designed by God to be in community. Yes. So we're designed by God to need Mm. other people as, as last week you talked about there's almost a yearning for that 
yeah. to a certain degree. So sorry, I'm no, sorry no, no, that, that's I think absolutely right. the case. Yeah, uh, there's um, one author I use in lectures regularly, um, uh, Hellman, Joseph Hellman, who wrote a book called uh, "When the Church Was a Family." And one of the lines I use regularly from there is he talks about uh, we are saved to community. So there's a necessary connection between our salvation and our being in the body and expressing that relationality in the body. And again, the number of cultural forces meant that we have a particular gospel presentation, which is uh, about a personal relationship with Jesus. And that again came from, uh, you mentioned it earlier, that whole idea of like, oh, I'm a Christian because I grew up in a Christian state. And particularly during the Reformation era, it's kind of like, you know, oh, I'm a Catholic because my king's a Catholic. Oh, no, now my king's a Lutheran. I guess I'm a Lutheran now. Oh, no, now my king's a Catholic. I guess I'm a Catholic. Um, and so there was this, you know, ident- so much of an emphasis on group identity that personal faith was lacking for a lot of people. And so the Reformers and then particularly the um, the, the Evangelicals, the, you know, the Wesleyans and those kind of guys a couple of hundred years later, really did want to emphasise that personal relationship with Jesus. Uh, and then you get more modern times, you get Billy Graham, who again is speaking largely to a, an America, but also a Western church generally, uh, sort of the Anglo church, you know, England, Australia, America, Canada, where he's saying, you know, you are in a, a culture that has high alignment with Christian values and the Christian church, but that doesn't make you a Christian. It's not like this gospel veneer thing you were talking about last, last yeah, episode. Yeah, yeah. And so you get all these little catchphrases coming out of there, like just because yeah, you're in the garage doesn't make you a car and <laughs> yeah, all those kind of things. And um, yeah, you have to take personal relationship with Jesus very seriously. And But again, yeah, you swing the pendulum so far the other way that you can end up understanding that as, oh, yes, I, all I need is a personal relationship with Jesus. I don't need community. Mm. And Hellman's book, the way that we try and express community here, a few others um, have tried to say, no, 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 no. The, the gathering is essential. Yeah. Um, and so it's not you are saved to have a personal relationship with Jesus and if you like, a really good bonus is to be part of a local community of God's gathered people. Um, so no, 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 you are personally saved and that salvation puts you necessarily into a people of God. Now, of course, if you're the only Christian in your village in you know, Sudan then uh, and there's no other Christians for kilometres away, of course it doesn't mean you can't be a Christian. Like You can have a personal relationship with Jesus and you just happen to be the only Christian. Yeah. Uh, of course, if you're in hospital uh, and you can't make it to church for a week, that doesn't the Holy Spirit doesn't go. Oh well, I'm leaving you for a bit because you know, you're not a Christian anymore because you're no, not many right. God's people. Yeah, yeah. So, of course, those hard cases. You know, we're not making silly statements like that. But for the ordinary person who lives in an area where there are other Christians, to choose to not meet with them in some way uh, is not living out Christianity the way that Christ has actually saved you for. Mm. Now, when this comes to things like service is, well, if you're in the family, then you participate. You contribute to the family. Uh, if, you, if you have a, a large Christmas dinner, 
and you invite all your family to come and they all say, what can we bring? And you say, oh, well, if you could bring the such and such and you bring the such and such, you bring the such and such. Uh, and you have one family that says, don't ask me to bring anything. I just want to turn up and eat. <laughs> I just want to eat all the food you'll bring. Yeah. And it's just like, <laughs> seriously? <laughs> like, Come on, we man. all chip in. Yeah. Um, or there's someone who says, oh, I don't know if I'm going to be able to cook, um, but I'd love to wash up at the end. I'll that, bring some hot chips. I'll yeah. bring some hot <laughs> chips, yeah. Um, or, and, like, this is how families work. When, when families are being built together, they, they work in such a way that everyone contributes. Mm-hmm. And in, in appropriate ways, depending on ability and age and stage and et cetera. And, you know, if, if you've got someone who was recently in an accident, they've broken their leg and they, they can't get to the shops, well, of course you're not going to ask them to you know, go to the, well, too bad. You'd better go to the shops and yeah. bring the hot chips, otherwise you're not eating. <laughs> of course we don't do that. But... Typically speaking, you know, you want to contribute. And it's the case of the church as well. You know, we, we can't be consumerist. We, we have to contribute. Uh, and so it makes sense that for Zach, uh, who's on the chip lunch this week, totally makes sense that when he jumped into service, all of a sudden it's like, oh, now I feel like I'm belonging. Because you're contributing. You're, you're adding to the life of God's people together. And so if anyone's listening and isn't in some sort of contributive purpose to their church, then find something to do. Find the easiest thing. Yeah, just find something. Just talk to your minister, mm. uh, talk to a service leader, and just sort of say, hey, I'd love to contribute in some way. I don't know what I can do. Here's my availability. Here's my... Here's my CV. Here's my CV. <laughs> <laughs> like, you know, you might have reasons that you can't commit to something every week. Yeah. Um, and that's okay. We've talked on this on this podcast before about ministry slide. Like there's, there's different things you can do at different times, mm. different stages of life, and et cetera, et cetera. Yeah, contribute. Absolutely. Mm. I mean, the easiest thing that we say, I mean, and it's because we have meals at every gathering, is like just get a tea towel and dry some dishes. Yes, and the fact that we've had meals at every service, uh, I think it wasn't the driving purpose, obviously, but an accidental purpose we've discovered is, oh, that's a really easy way for people to serve. That's the, yeah, perhaps the easiest way we have, Yeah, I think. And we, there's, there's a lot of upfront positions where you want mature Christians to be leading the prayers the worship team i hate that phrase the music team the children's ministry the youth ministry bible study leaders uh preachers obviously like there's a lot of roles that require a high um spiritual maturity and as you said before leaders set aside whether they're paid or not paid to do that that's right Mm. um but what we've also found is that there's people who come to us who aren't sure if they're christians still checking out jesus uh, or may have been another church where they felt burnt out and they just kind of need to rest for a bit. Yeah. And it's like, absolutely, come in. You know, we're, not, we're not here to wear you out, but there's actually a joy and a levity to come into the kitchen with just a small group of people and just get to know one or two people while you wipe up some cups. Yep. Uh, that's a really easy thing to do. And that's like a, a small version of community in action there anyway, isn't it? And um, I had a friend at work in... Uh, He's not, he doesn't work there anymore, but um, a number of discussions with him and he, had, he said that he's like, yeah, I have no friends. And he was almost proud of it. And I was like, okay, that can't be... That's really interesting. It may be quite sad, actually. Mm. I was just like, oh, okay. And then, like, I think it might be a, you know, a picture of some aspects of the society that encourage us to be like that. But then I was also talking to someone who, uh, someone else in my work and we were talking about that. And he used to work with this person who said they had no friends. And he was like, yeah, but I've seen, and he's quite, he's quite a bit younger than me. 
and he said, yeah, I've seen heaps of things on recently on whether it was Instagram or listening to it a podcast or something saying that the longevity or the, the how long people live, a huge impact of that, a huge factor that impacts that is whether you have friends or you're in community and stuff like that. And yeah, I think yeah. it's so true that when like that statement you said we are made to be in community it's so true but I, I, it's i find it quite fascinating that we we either go i don't or man, maybe our culture is we don't need society we have all these other things that will make it that is a good substitute for that like i remember even during the COVID lockdowns, it was like, well, you have Netflix, so you can stay home. It's like, but yeah, Netflix is okay, <laughs> but it's not, you don't have it's this. not other people. There's not other people. And mm. I think there's this thing about it being community that uh, like rounds you off. Like if you like, you know, you're thinking about something and you're getting too deep into the weeds in it and you talk to someone about it and they go, oh, maybe you're just overthinking this bit. And you're like, oh yeah. And like, but it's also like it, because we're such social, humans are such social people that we figure out what to do. Like there's this thing of, we're talking about not just listening to the word, although that's extremely important again, we should say, but also there's this thing of like figuring out how to be a Christian as an example is really important. A really important factor in that is being in a Christian community to do that. Absolutely. And I think that's where like we kind of loop all the way back to what your friend is talking about is that, perhaps God is putting this scenario in there to shape you in a way that he thinks you need to be shaped in this and at this point of your life, whatever it is. Mm. Um, so, yeah, that, I think that's a, that's one of my thoughts. Any final thoughts before we wrap up the no, episode? Yes. I thought it was... Done well. No, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> I like it when we can tie it off with a nice bow. Um, cool. Thank you very much, Tim. Nice. I enjoyed the discussion today. And uh, if you do want to join the discussion, whether you, if you're listening or watching, you can email me at joel at chocolatesorbit.com.au, just like Tim's friend, talk to him about it. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and uh, you can chuck in a comment on YouTube if you just think that's interesting. Don't be scared. I will respond to it if you put a comment in there. That's what I like to do. It's a promise. Oh, it's a definite promise. I mean, it's not like I'm replying to thousands of comments. <laughs> <laughs> it's very easy to do. And um, uh, thank you also to our producer, Eck, who always puts our episodes together and posts them on YouTube. Thanks to Stu, even though he wasn't here because his leadership always gets us to thinking about these kind mm. of things. So that's where he's, And his leadership initially allowed this podcast to, to be what it is. So thank you very much for listening. Thank you, Tim. Nice. In a one way. One way. One way. Mm-hmm.